Well, welcome back to our GOAT series. If you weren't with us previously, we're into our greatest of all time. Greatest choir of all time, right over here. I love it. Yeah. Um, now, <laughs> listen, when I, when, I, when I do, when we do these throughout the summer, because this is going to be our overarching theme for the summer, the greatest of all time, it will not be the case that every Sunday we will use lots and lots of sports analogies. I know that not everybody is into sports. I, I am very aware of that. My wife loves sports for one reason, is because when you turn on the game and keep it at a reasonable volume, it's great for taking a nap too. That's her, that's her love of sports. I will say it is worth noting that June is a very busy month sports-wise. So the, the NBA is in their finals. And let me hear it from my Canadians, right? Toronto, Toronto could put this thing to bed tomorrow night. So we'll see if, if Toronto is able to bring that championship home to Canada. Yeah, yeah. In the meantime, for those who are NHL, National Hockey League fans, here's all we can say. The Washington Capitals are still the Stanley Cup champions for a few more days. All right. Washington Nationals, Baltimore Orioles. Okay, I'll put it out there. Soccer, D.C. United, and let's face it, both the, the men and women's U.S. national teams, they're getting up and going with their World Cup qualifying. It's, it's a busy month. I will say that as far as basketball is concerned, it's a little bit of a sad time for me because neither my local team, the Washington Wizards, nor my lifelong favorite team, the L.A. Lakers, are anywhere near the playoffs, nor have they been for years, nor do they likely appear to be coming back anytime soon. Let's just say what it is. So as a Lakers fan, I have to content myself with the presence of Shaquille O'Neal, the former MVP of the NBA, one of the great centers of all time, led the Lakers to several championships. Now he just shows up to give commentary. That's his job. He's pretty good, actually as part of the team giving analysis and all this stuff. It's, that's how he makes his presence today felt, not on the basketball court itself. And, you know, there were a lot of people surprised when Shaq showed up in the analyst booth. Part of it's because he left college after just his freshman year. They figure, oh, you know, he basically a high school graduate, played one year at college, then he went off to the pros. They assume that somehow the physical size of the man is somehow the opposite of the small size of his brain. That is not the truth. Shaquille O'Neal is a very, very intelligent businessman. He is observant. He's smart. He's witty. He has a very keen memory. And so it was that a few years back when he was given the, M well, I should say when he earned the MVP award of the NBA, known for his sense of humor, he gave his acceptance speech. And at the end, he announced his new nickname that he wanted to be known by. He said, I want to be known as the big Aristotle after the Greek philosopher. And you might say, well, why would he choose that name? And Shaq says, because it's Aristotle who said this, excellence is not a singular act. It is a habit. You are what you repeatedly do. 
Everybody say, hmm, hmm, hmm. Now, we should note, I want to be fair here, I don't want to be accused of glossing over, it is true that most of New Testament teaching can be quite different from Greek philosophy and Roman teaching, so I don't want to overdo the similarity. But if, if that's the big Aristotle, well, there was also the big apostle, Paul, and he shared some similar, though not identical, views with this teaching about developing the right habits. Let's be clear. The Bible teaches that we are loved of God, and we are far more than the sum of our deeds. Amen? Say, thank you, Jesus, <laughs> because we are, we are, we are more than the sum of our deeds. But, but what we do know from Paul's teaching and preaching, from the letters that he later wrote that became what we call the New Testament, again and again as he exhorted these new Christ followers amongst the first church members of all time, he taught them and encouraged them, exhorted them to honor Christ by establishing habits in their lives, habits that showed that they were not walking according to the old way of life, but in a new pathway, a new way of life that was not of the world, but which was of God. One could argue that Paul was saying, once you declare verbally Christ as Lord. That's absolutely true. We declare Him as Lord. It's a singular act, but we go beyond the declaring to the demonstrating, and we demonstrate the Lordship of Christ by our habits, by those things that we repeatedly do that reveal the character of Christ in our lives, how we live and how we love. And so, as we talk about the GOAT, the greatest of all time, today we're going to talk about the greatest church member of all time. Really, those Christ followers who set such a great example for the rest of us, and they do not receive that honor. One does not get called the greatest church member of all time simply for doing something good, but by doing it over and over and over again with humility and a simple desire to honor Christ. Now, let's get something out of the way. In the same way that when I preached on the greatest pastor of all time, early on I told you all I was not preaching about myself. Hello, you see where I'm going with this? I'm talking about the greatest church member of all time. There is no trophy under here that I'm going to call anybody in here up to receive later. I do want to add and say we are blessed to have some spectacular people. Uh, I have been so blessed over the years of my ministry to have so many wonderful members in the congregations I have served, and we have the same thing present in this body of believers. And they always teach you that one should be quite careful because once you recognize one, somebody else gets themselves in a snit that their name was not called. But I've never been one to follow much conventional wisdom, so what the heck, let me just get myself in trouble. I want to say that in the past few weeks that I've been the senior pastor, it has been my privilege to visit with some of our more senior saints who have in the past and who in large measure continue 
to make amazing investments of their lives, their prayer lives, their spirit, their commitment, their treasure, whatever they have to give, they continue to make amazing investments in this church family. So I'm going to call out a few. Had a wonderful visit with Jacob Jones, and by the way, got word from his wife today. Jacob's at home now. We can celebrate. I, he's in his nine plus, okay? So uh, I won't reveal his exact age. One should not do that. But, but in his 90 plus, what a man of God, what a wonderful person. What a great celebration. What a great encouragement he was. That's the people, right? The ones you go to visit that encourage you more than you encourage them. And Jacob was, was like that. Once saw Opal Wagner, and what a what a blessing. She was great till she played, prayed for Callie's future husband. Callie objected to that uh, statement rather vociferously. But what can you do? You're in the middle of a prayer, right? She had you where she wanted you, right? Eugene and Francis Bradley. Eugene suffering from Alzheimer's, but uh, an amazing response while we were praying for him and with him. And then a follow-up phone call with Francis, who if you don't know Francis Bradley, you're just missing one of the great joys in life. This makes me laugh my head off every time I visit with her. And then the one many of us call Mama, Mary Straysner, who is home, right? Clark, where Right? So she… She's done, she's done her switch out. That's right. She's out, stepped down once again this week. We are celebrating that, continuing her recovery. Look forward to the day she gets back with us. And all those people and many others like them have been such a blessing to our founding congregations and to Pathways for decades, folks, for decades. And in a similar spirit of Thanksgiving today, I am, I am bound by conscience to give a shout out to two particular blessings. Uh, Marie Satterwhite is right back here. Marie, can, would you mind standing up? Marie is also in the uh, years old. And um, as far as I know, she is our one remaining charter member from our two founding congregations. And uh, still here today with her family. Uh, Marie, I found those pictures from the 50s and 60s, and you'll thank me later for not putting them all up. I mean, it's a, but it is amazing. She was, the First Baptist Church of Wheaton was founded in 49, and Marie was in the charter group. So that tells you something. That's 70 years. That's faithfulness. Thank you, Marie. God bless you. The other person I have to mention today uh, is slightly younger. Uh, but she has hardly missed a Sunday since her birth in 1996. And next Sunday, she will not be with us because she will have already reported to Maxwell Air Force Base in Alabama for her officer training. But my daughter, who I now call Lieutenant Doctor, uh, she starts med school. Callie, well done. We are grateful for great church members. She's been known as a preacher's kid, she's been known as a missionary, and lately she's been known as the part-time custodian here at Pathways. We honor in all kinds of ways here. She'll be doing med school at Bethesda at USIS, and so we'll look forward to seeing her from time to time. Uh, but uh, you helped raise her, you helped shape her, and in return she has blessed us and honored Christ, and that's what great church members do. It is something that we can all do. We have been so blessed with so many wonderful members over the years, and we have an opportunity to learn today how to better be that ongoing blessing. Let's all commit to that today.
But before I go there, I have to say this. Today's message is not a claim in any way that Pathways is the Lake Wobegon of evangelical churches where all the women are strong, all the men are good-looking, and all the children are above average, and everybody goes home with a trophy. Um, th- that is not where I'm going today in, in our message. Um, it's not an honest approach. We need to be honest. We need to be transparent. We need to lovingly speak truth to one another about what we are doing right, about what we are doing not so right and we need to correct, and about the biblical habits that we want to be characteristic of Pathways members so that we can always think of each other as some of the greatest church members in the world because it's a blessing to be a part of a church family of that. Now, whenever you start talking about the greatest, there are people who immediately say, well, that means you're going to be all judgy. You're going to talk about how some are better than others and all this kind of thing. So I I asked uh, our video team to help me put up some key principles of how I'm thinking about this today. First of all, let's be clear on something. First, God loves everybody. This is not about God playing favorites. John 3.16 tells us that God so loved the world everybody, all of us, that He gave His only begotten Son for us. So, let's be clear, when we talk about the greatest church member of all time and you start feeling, oh, I don't know, I'm I'm not so good about that, God loves everybody, okay? We may not all be yet the greatest church member of all time, but you still have time. You can still be that person. The second key principle is that everybody is welcome to seek God here, everybody. Whosoever will may come is the way they used to put it in the old days. The Bible says there's none righteous, no, not one. So don't ever feel like I'm not good enough because the truth is nobody's good enough, right? There's only God who is perfect. All the rest of us have sinned and fall short. And the invitation from Pathways Church to you is that this is an opportunity to get on a journey of life with the living God through His Son, Jesus Christ, and find a new pathway in life that honors Him. The third principle, as far as we know, anyone who has ever personally encountered God has come away changed. Another way you've heard this said is God doesn't leave you where He finds you. He loves you as you are, but He doesn't leave you where He finds you. That's absolutely true. Another key principle that God's my thinking is while God is Lord and God is sovereign over all, He does allow for our free will. So you get to choose. You have a lot of input on whether you get classified as one of the greatest church members of all time. You have a lot to do with that. It's not just sit back and say, okay, God, zap me. The way God has set it up, you get to choose an awful lot. You get to choose whether we're going to declare Christ is the Lord of my life, and then we're going to demonstrate it by the habits that we do over and over again, or we're going to declare but then live for ourselves. We're going to say Christ is king, but then we're going to act like we are the boss. That's the choice that we make according to the Bible. Obedience, disobedience is how some people put it. Submission to the will of God, seeking my own way. Those are 
always to talk about it. So it's, it's in that context with these key principles that I think we can take a look at what does it mean to be the greatest of all time. That's a very modern construct. The Bible doesn't use that kind of language when it's talking about us, but I think it's a useful thing for us to talk about so that we might consider, we might investigate, we might reflect on how a life of following Christ in obedient, loving, habit-forming discipleship moves us closer to the goal and the blessing of what Christ has planned for us. One last objection that I want people to be aware do not fall for this stuff of, well, they, the church is just looking for a bunch of cookie-cutter people. They want us all to be alike. Uh, no, because even if everybody in here were to follow the biblical guidance of how to live, if we all developed great repetitive habits on a continuing basis of living for God, there is still so much room for diversity in how we live that out in our particular situations. And so when you look in the New Testament, it's as plain as the nose on your face. There's mission work being done, but Barnabas worked one way with Paul. Silas worked another way with Paul. Others worked without Paul entirely. Peter said, I can't even understand Paul. It's in 1 Peter. Go look at it. He said, Paul writes things I, I can't understand. But there's a place for everybody. There was a place for Timothy, yes, but there was also a place for Lydia. There was a place for Priscilla and her husband Aquila. There's all those people that Paul mentions. You go to the end of any one of his letters and you'll just see this list of people and how they are working for God. And it's different from place to place and person to person. And then the congregations, it's the same way. They have their own personality right? The Bereans, they were known for their attentiveness to the Word. When you go to the, to the book of Revelation, you know that last one in the Bible, and you read those first two or three chapters about the different churches, the comments almost always start like this, well, to this church I say, well done for this, and not so well done for that. And each church is its own personality, its own giftedness, its own kind. So there is tons of room for diversity. Romans 12, what a great place to teach us, right? Some are given the gift of service, and so what should you do? Serve. Some are given the gift of giving, so what should they do? Give with generosity. Some are given the gift of exhortation. What should they do? They should encourage. Does the one who has the gift of encouragement have to act like the one who has the gift of prophecy? No. There is room for diversity. This is how God has put His body together. The church is the church at its best when leaders lead and teachers teach and preachers preach and prophets prophesy and givers give and, and people, servers serve, and people function out of the giftedness that God has put within them. We are not all alike, but we can all give God our very best as He has made us to be. Now, all of that brings us to our Scripture passage of the day, and I'm really going to focus in on about five verses. So if you want to take your Bible and open it to Colossians chapter 3, and we're going to spend the, the remainder of our time together just kind of walking through uh, these verses uh, together, where Paul talks about 
how the church should look. Now, I'm going to read to you a little bit more while you're finding uh, that uh, chapter uh, 3 of Colossians. I'm going to read you from the beginning of the chapter a little bit. If you have been raised with Christ, therefore, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. This all starts with an acknowledgement that God is God. Jesus Christ is reigning in heaven at the right hand of God. Set your mind, a great verse, right? Memorize this one someday. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth, for you have died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with Him in glory. So, our life is not our own. Our life is now in Christ. That's where it all is, okay? And then he gives some, some warning words. This is not how you become the greatest church member of all time. He says, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to these things, immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry, for it is because of these things that the wrath of God will come upon the sons of disobedience, and in them you also once walked. Let's not all get our noses up in the air. Remember where you came from. It keeps you humble. In them you also once walked when you were living in them. See, but you're not. Now you died to those things. Now you have a new life. But now you also put them aside, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. Don't lie to one another since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices and put on the new self. You have put on the new self who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him, a renewal in which there is no distinction between Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, and free man, but Christ is all and in all there is room for all kinds of folks from the beginning of God's work to this day. This is how God works. And then, we get to this passage, this group of five verses, which don't give us the name of the greatest church member of all time. They show us the life that is called for to be amongst those folks, to be, to be among the greatest church members of all time, would be to have this kind of life. Now, a little background as we start Colossians 3, 12 here. Colossae was the name of the city. It was not far from Ephesus. It was a little town there in Asia Minor, or small city, I should say. Paul seems to have a high regard for the people in Colossae, for the church at Colossae. He speaks very nicely to them as he opens the book back in chapter 1. But surprisingly to many people, you know, this is not one of the churches that Paul planted. This is not one of the ones he started. He had enough of a relationship to write with them probably because it was evidently founded by Epaphras, who's referred to in a variety of places. In verse 7 of chapter 1, Paul says, he's one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus. He refers to him in another place. Epaphras was a, a man in Paul's company as the letter's being written. He was a person who shows up in various places called my fellow prisoner by Paul. We don't know if he was actually in prison or if he actually just kind of made sure he never left Paul's side as Paul was in prison. 
And so Paul writes this kind of nice letter, and he, he starts off by kind of giving them some props. He says, you know, I'm confident that basically you're living faithful to the, to the truths you've been taught. But then in chapter 2, he begins to talk about some of the problems that are coming in. And, and there were basically two things that concerned him that were unique to somewhat unique to the Colossian church. There was what we would call a legalistic asceticism. Now, for those of you who don't like those, you know, four dollar know, $4 words, you know, asceticism is that withdrawal. I, I deny myself certain pleasures. It's a strictness. And the legalism means you don't only accept it for yourself, but you're trying to impose it on others. And it gives a terrible atmosphere in a church. So, there's a spirit of ascetic legalism going on. But there's another thing that he refers to, and apparently was the rise of a cult in Colossae where people were worshiping angels. Now, you might think, oh, that's, that's a, we all want to promote The main thing going on here is Jesus. Paul says, keep the main thing the main thing. Don't get distracted. We're not worshiping angels. They're just created beings like the rest of us. We're created beings. You should be worshiping God. So, Paul is trying to write to correct these, and in chapter 3, he warns them about the, the bad things that, 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 that can result from this, and he starts it with those verses I read to you a minute ago talking about how you have to die to self and be reborn. And can we just stop right there and say that's the beginning point for every church member? I don't care whether you ever want to be known as great, if you don't ever want to be known at all, but you can't be a church member if you don't know Jesus Christ. The church of Jesus Christ is those who have acknowledged Christ as Lord and receive from Him the forgiveness of sins, a new life in Christ. The Holy Spirit has come to live within you. That was His promise, and that is how one becomes a believer, a Christian. And so, Paul is very clear. This is where it starts, new life in Christ. You do not go out and transform yourself to be a better person. It starts with new life in Jesus Christ. And so, the fact that these baptized members of the Colossian community, like all Christian communities, even the one here in Gaithersburg, Maryland, we need to understand something. And it's what he teaches these folks. He says, this is how you used to be. You are now new. You are saved. You are in Christ. This is done. You are, you are reborn and you get baptized. That's true. Still true of the 21st century. But Paul goes on to say, as new creations, you now you need to go on, you need to grow up, and you need to develop habits which reflect the life that is within you. You are in a world where you are already and not quite yet. <laughs> you are, shall we say it, a community under construction. You are saved, you are being saved, and you will ultimately be saved. And so, he's basically saying you are, you are a, a saved believer, but you are under construction. You, that's why you pray, right? Thy will be done. How's the rest of it? That next part go? On earth as it is in heaven. Meaning, it may not be being done right now on earth as it is in heaven. That's what we're working on. We're praying for that. We're working on submitting ourselves to the will of God. And so, all of that is a part of the process, and Paul makes that very clear. We are not completed projects. So, whenever you meet a church member 
who says, I, I'm, I'm done. I've rugged a bell. I've achieved it. I have begun. Already, you know, they are not the greatest church member of all time. They have revealed themselves because we must all be growing continually until we stand before God again. Now, look at verse 12 for a moment. He says, so as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. That's five great virtues. We're going to talk about them in just a second. But what I want you to see, first of all, he says, put on, or depending on your translation, clothe yourselves with. And this is a great image for Paul to use, the putting on of garments, because you've noticed, right, when we do baptism here, right, what do we do? How do people come into the water? They are wearing a white robe. Now, you don't have to wear a white robe. You go to a church that doesn't own white robes, it's okay. But it's one of the ways that we here symbolize, you know what, there's something being left behind and something being started anew. And in the early traditions of the Christian church, people would remove, you will remember some of the biblical talk about how clothing worked, they would remove the outer garment and be baptized and put on a new outer garment. Paul is picking up on that imagery. He's saying, look, you guys have been baptized. You've been saved. You've come to know Jesus Christ as your forgiver and, forgiver and your Lord. But now you need to go on to the next step and put on more. The habits that reflect the excellence of your life lived in discipleship to the one who has paid so much for you. That's the picture of it. Clothe yourselves with these virtues. And he mentions these five, these habits that we need to develop. And listen, these are trademarks of the greatest church members of all time, compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience. And then Paul expands them a little bit further. The next verse, he adds a couple more to them. He says, bearing with one another and forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Wow. You know, forbearance is not a word that people use a lot anymore. Forbearance. But that's what he's talking about. The ability to bear with one another. You know, when we say this, you know, I just can't stand them. That, that's not forbearance. That's the opposite. Okay? Let's be clear. <laughs> God is calling us. He says, you can't have these virtues w without it affecting your life. You have to habitually practice them. And as you practice this compassion and this patience and these things, part of what comes out is forbearance this ability to bear with one another, to show tolerance, to show restraint in the face of provocation. See, not just when somebody's ignoring you, you can ignore them, but in the face of prov provocation from them, you can be forbearing. You can be forgiving, which was the next thing. He says, you're supposed to practice forgiveness. Can we be clear here? Forgiveness is a divine trait. It's not something we came up with. <laughs> this flows out of the heart of God. What does he say? He, he says, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you forgive others. Wow. 
And this is not just the Colossian church, folks. This is us. We're called to give a forgiveness that is made possible only because we know the forgiveness of God. So this is one of the hard words. Like I said, not everybody's taking home a trophy. This is the hard word that we need to hear. If you struggle with forgiving others, and you know that about yourself, that should be cause for serious reflection on how well you know the forgiveness of God. It, it, it should just break your heart. You should realize what God has had to do for you. He gave, he spared not his own son, but gave him up for us. We do that, we take that seriously, we'll find it a little easier to forgive others. Freely, freely you have received, freely also give. Let's look at the next verse, a couple more virtues, virtues eight and nine. He talks about beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity, harmony. That's what he, it's really kind of the word he's using. Love and harmony. These are very clear requirements for the repair of a world that is full of hate, <laughs> fractured. I, some of the best words of wisdom I ever got from a friend was to, was to point out that, you know, social media has a lot of good going for it. One of the dangers of it is how much it fuels division and hate and anger. And if one's going to use it, one must use it wisely. You read this verse here, you know, he said beyond, we've already talked about seven virtues, and he says beyond all those things, put on love. And he doesn't exactly say how love does it. He just says that it does. It's what brings about this unity, this harmony. And, and, and it's not, not really clear whether love is the thing that binds us together. There was a song about love, love will keep us together. I remember that somewhere. Or it could be that love produces this beautiful unity and harmony, that love is the thing that makes it possible. But he clearly is saying it's the crucial because he says beyond all these things put on love. So the greatest church members of all time are, are loving people. There is just no question. It is the crucial life component to the person who is maturing and growing up in Christ. And then let's move toward the end of this passage with 15, 16, 17. Verse 15. He says, let the peace of Christ. So when the love of God comes upon you, when this unity comes, peace comes. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Now, it's interesting. He says, let this peace rule in your heart. So you could, if you were diagramming this with art, you might put a throne and put the peace symbol on the throne and put a little tiara on top of the peace symbol, and you would not have an accurate depiction of what the word means in Greek. The word in the original language, the Greek language, really is not the word so much for ruling from that kind of autocratic viewpoint, but from the viewpoint of an umpire. I wish I had Phil Gerganus here. He was here to visit just last week, and, and he was talking about all his baseball umpire. It's really about that one who is able to make a wise decision, right? He said, let the peace of God be the one who 
umpires you along, who guides you in the right way, who settles the disputes. That's what, he's safe, he's out. The umpire makes the call and that's it. So yes, there's a ruling, there's an authority to it, but it's really about keeping things moving. Let the peace of Christ keep the church moving. If you have to stop everything the church is doing to appease somebody to get peace, it is the wrong approach. The peace of Christ rules in your hearts in such a way that we are umpired along and we keep moving forward. The Holy Spirit of God speaks to that inner person. The Holy Spirit serves as that guide. And so Paul is saying to the Colossian community, you can unite yourselves as you listen to the Holy Spirit lead you, and it brings you to be that one body in great unity. And that is a great note to end on. But Paul is not done. He still has two more verses. And I want you to see, he touches on it at the very end of 15. He says, and be thankful And then he talks about how thankfulness gets expressed. And this is so important to us here at Pathways. Let's let's pay close attention here. If you're thankful, what do you do? You let the Word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And if you are thankful also, verse 17, whatever you do in word and deed, you demonstrate this thankfulness, right? Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to Him through God the Father, through Him to God the Father. What a great word. I mean, Paul says, thankfulness gets informed. Look at this very carefully, if you would, please, in verse 16, because this gets to a key piece of of how we interpret and fulfill our ministry here at Pathways. He encourages the Colossian Christians to experience Christ richly through His own Word and through the community's teaching about Jesus. Now, this is, this is important because I think what he's getting at are those two different things. It takes knowledge of those familiar stories of Jesus. Folks, don't ever think you outgrow those. You need to remember what Jesus has done. And this is why I love Sunday school and the investment in vacation Bible school and, and what it does because when you teach those stories into people's lives, they become a reference point that you can always… Think the Word of Christ, the example of Christ, let that speak back to you. But he also, when he talks about that and talks about with wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another, he also then brings it to this more formal experience that we know of, the teaching as we move into youth and adult Sunday school, as we move into worship time where we dissect the Word and ask God to help us apply it to our hearts, and we really seek to hear what He's saying. This careful knowledge, not just of the familiar stories, but also the transfer of the tradition, the knowledge of what the exact sayings are that we might get the richness of what God has preserved for us in His Word. And I'll just throw this in for free. That's hard to do in a 12-minute sermon. It just is. 
It requires in-depth study of God's Word, not only in this place, but in your home and in your devotion time and, and in your small groups and the different things that you do. And that gives this, this bubbling over behavior that he goes into where he says, and that's going to cause you to sing hymns and spiritual songs and declare psalms and, and rejoice, and everything you do will be done to the glory of God. I, here's what I would say, folks, brothers and sisters. You remember, we talk about the greatest church member of all time, that the followers of Jesus were first called Christians at Antioch. Christian meaning little Christ. And so I would simply say, if you want to be known as the greatest church members, plural, of all time, I'd sure like to be known as the pastor of the greatest church. I don't need to be known as the greatest pastor. I'd rather be known as the pastor of the greatest church members of all time. We probably shouldn't be worried about being the big Aristotle or being the big shack. We just need to be the little Jesus. If you do that, you and you and you and you and me, we'll be the greatest church members of all time. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for not calling us to be great church members and then leaving us without guidance. Thank you for giving us the Word. Thank you for speaking through the men and women that the New Testament came to us through. Thank you for speaking to us through your Holy Word. Thank you for speaking to us and letting us speak to one another in hymns and psalms and spiritual songs. And we pray, O oh God, that this picture of the Colossian church that Paul painted marked by the great virtues of compassion and love and forbearance and unity and all the different things we've seen today, that they would likewise be the trademarks of the people known as pathways, and that those fruits of being your people would touch, bless, and encourage the lives of all with whom we come in contact, not for our glory but to the glory of the one who made it possible to even be church members, the one who gave his life for us. It is Christ we seek to honor with grateful hearts. We are your church members, the sheep of your flock, the people of your pasture. We honor you, O oh God, as we give you our lives once again this day through Christ our Lord. And all God's people agreed and said, amen, amen.